Lou Serafini, welcome to the Morning Shakeout podcast. Thanks for having me. Now, your name isn't one that a lot of my listeners are going to recognize right off the bat. So in your own words, who is Lou Serafini? <laughs> I don't know. I think, um, I think I'm probably a little better known locally in Boston. Um, but I like to think of myself as just a, a blue collar runner in the Boston area that also works full time and just kind of has fun with it in the community here. And I'm sure you have plenty of fun with it, but you also run pretty fast. And most recently, you just broke four minutes in the mile at the Boston University last chance meet personal best for you. Let's talk about that race. First of all, um, you know, you got back to the track this indoor season after taking a little bit of a hiatus, focusing on the marathon for a while. What was the impetus behind getting back on the track this winter and pursuing the mile specifically? Uh, well, it's definitely not something that I thought I would do <laughs> when I graduated college. I graduated from uh, Boston College in 2013, and uh, I had like a really rough last track season. And the last thing that I wanted to do was get back on the track when I graduated. And to be honest, I, I wasn't even really running a ton when I first graduated and didn't think I would ever really run competitively again. But um, I'm, I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit more, but I did eventually pick it up competitively. And uh, I'd done a few workouts that indicated that I thought maybe I could run a pretty good mile or at the very least run a PR. And, and I grew up a miler and I think you did too. So uh, we can definitely relate to, to just loving the mile and loving that distance. And you know, I was a miler in high school. So, you know, there's, like I said, a couple workouts that I did and, and a few marathon buildups that, that made me think that maybe I could run close to four minutes. Um, so this past fall was the first time really since I graduated that I wasn't training for a marathon. I was training for club cross country. Um, so I had more of like a proper track season buildup, I guess you could say. And uh, I figured once that season was over, I was going to focus mostly on 5Ks and 10Ks and outdoor track. So why not? Why not give it a shot indoors and, and see what happens? So that was kind of the thought process behind the buildup and getting back to it. So um, it's crazy that it actually happened. I uh, there were definitely a lot of moments of, of doubt of if I could actually even do it, and uh, and it just kind of came together. So let's rewind a few years to 2013 when you graduated from Boston College. You were a solid runner, but not an All-American or someone who is going to land a professional contract when you graduated. I think your personal bests were somewhere around 408 for the mile and 1439 for 5K, which happens to be my personal best as well, getting out of college. There we go. <laughs> um, so we share that in common for sure. Um, but you just alluded to the fact that you didn't stick with it right away. So what did you do right when you graduated and why did you decide to put running on hold for a little bit or at least on the back burner? Yeah. So. Um... I don't know. I think like a lot of people, my, my relationship with running just like really soured a lot uh, through college. I, I was a pretty good high school runner. I ran 413 in the 1600 and 153 in the 800. And when I went to Boston College, I had really high hopes of, you know, becoming a sub four miler or, you know, qualifying for nationals and being an All-American. And, you know, after four years of like really working for that goal and just hitting a plateau super hard. I just 
by the end of it, I, I didn't want to do it anymore. I was burnt out. Um, I didn't enjoy the sport anymore. Um, my senior season, I was injured for the first time in my life. And that was, that was really difficult. Um, and I was, I was lucky enough to have a job when I graduated at a PR firm. And, uh, so I was doing that and I, I really did not enjoy that very much. Uh, I can honestly tell you that's probably going to be the only desk job that I ever work in my entire life, just doing like a nine to five. And I wasn't running much and it, and it wasn't really until, um, I picked up some part-time hours at a local running shop that I, I started running with any sort of consistency again. And when I picked it back up, uh, the last thing that I wanted to do, like I said before, is get on the track. Um, and one running goal that I, I knew I wanted to accomplish before I stopped running was to run the Boston Marathon. Um, BC is obviously right on the marathon course. So every year we would watch the marathon. It was always really inspiring. So uh, the first running goal that I set for myself was just to run a marathon and qualify for Boston. And then I guess you could say things just kind of like spiraled from there. Um, you know, I, I trained a little differently than I did in college. And things were kind of clicking and working. And I started to see improvement for the first time in, you know, five years. And I started having fun with it again. So while you were working part-time at the running shop, working full-time, you know, for a PR agency, what was it about being in the environment of the running shop or just in Boston in general, which has a great and thriving running community that sort of lit the spark again? I mean, I think what helped was not being on like, for me, not being on like a college team where you just have this like pressure every single day to like hit your splits and workouts and, um, you know, run fast in races and and score for the team. Like I, it got to the point where I was, I was working in this running community. I was working for, um, a store called Heartbreak Hill Running Company, which I'm sure some of the listeners will know it's, it's gotten more and more popular over the years. But when I started working there, um, it was relatively pretty small. But one, one thing that we did really well was develop, um, a running community, uh, which is what I do here at Tracksmith now. Uh, the same thing is just, you know, developing a running community in Boston and the energy that, that runners that aren't super high level, super competitive runners bring to the table is, is so infectious and so cool. Um, one thing that I would always say in the shop and still say is that, you know, running is, is all relative, you know, like everyone has their own goals and, uh, is trying to accomplish their own thing, whether it's to break four in the mile or to qualify for Boston or just to simply finish their first marathon. So, um, you know, those runners gave me more support than I've ever gotten in my life. Um, having 30 people show up to a random hill workout on a Wednesday night and, and ask me about my training and what I'm training for and what I'm doing and like having that many random people interested um, definitely got me motivated to train hard. And then hearing about all their successes and having people come to me and say that they PR'd in the 5K by two minutes or something like that or that they were training for their first marathon really inspired me to kind of take it to the next level. So. Let's go to those first few years out of school. You're training for marathons. I believe Vermont City was your first one. That's right. Uh, yep. Mine too, <laughs> believe it or not, which is kind of wild. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> we have so many parallels. It's not, it's not even funny. Two Italian American kids who went to a, you know, Catholic, uh, Catholic college in Massachusetts and ran yep. similar times. Pretty wild. Um, but you know, you ran, you ran Vermont City. I think you're in 237 to qualify. 
for Boston, you know, at that moment, did you feel like a kind of a competitive runner again and know that for the next few years you were going to continue to pursue whether it was the marathon or at least just running, running fast again? No, not really. Uh, it wasn't until the following winter when I started training for Boston that I think I, I kind of knew, um, that race is pretty brutal. Actually. I, um, I think like any runner, like you, you psych yourself up and you tell yourself that you can do better than you actually perform, um, or, you know, better than the shape that you're actually in. But for that race, I was like, you know, I'd never done a marathon before, but I, I always loved long runs. And I thought, you know, maybe, maybe 225, maybe 220 on a good day. And I ended up going out in like 70 minutes for the half, which was a PR in the half marathon. And then just walked home the second half. Like I literally had a mile where I walked. Um, and it was, it was pretty miserable. And I, I, I did a lot of road races that summer. Um, that was like the summer of trying to make as much cash on the roads as possible. Like I would do a 5k every weekend or a half marathon or whatever road race that I could find locally that had prize money. Cause it was, you know, the first time in my life that I could accept prize money. And I thought that was pretty cool, but I was still really only running 1550 for a road 5k, 1540 on a good day. Um, and it wasn't until the following winter I was, I was coaching myself, which, which I was also kind of getting a kick out of because, um, you know, I'd, I had okay coaching experience in college, but I, I really wanted to like, I'd never been a high mileage guy. Uh, I think in college, the most mileage I ever ran was maybe 75 in a week. Um, and I never, like I said, I'd never really been injured either. I'd, I'd been hurt once. And I, I was always curious to see what high mileage would do and like how it would affect me. And the main motivation was, was, was that. And then also the fact that I didn't want to do speed workouts. So I was like, Oh, I don't really want to go to the track and do hard workouts. I'll just run longer to compensate for that. Um, so that winter when I trained for Boston, I was like, I'm, let's just do 90 to hundred miles a week, you know, I'll do some hundred mile weeks and see what that feels like. I'll, I can say that I've done that now. And, uh, for whatever reason, it, my body just responded incredibly well to it. And, um, I think the, the race that I knew that maybe like the Olympic trials and the marathon would be possible was, um, a 10 miler in Amherst mass, uh, that had, has always good competition because it's like a new England championship. So, um, like guys like Eric Ash, who's one of my coworkers and, and Ruben Sanka and Brian Harvey and guys like that, all like sub two twenty marathoners will show up for that race. And that was the first race I've ever been able to hung with guys, hang with guys like that. I ran 50, 40 on a hilly 10 mile course. And then that, that was the race where I was like, wow, like I haven't even really been focusing on this kind of stuff. Like who knows if I actually like train for a half marathon, I bet I can run under 65 minutes. So, um, I went on to run like 227 at Boston that year, which was okay. I was happy with it. Um, but from there on out, the focus just totally shifted towards qualifying for trials. Um, def definitely went a little bit crazy after that. Like once I learned that running high mileage worked, um, I tried to run more and more mileage, which, which worked to, up to a certain point. Um, but that's, that's kind of the moment when I knew like that spring when I was training for Boston, um, the, the times that came with that training, um, the workouts that came with that were, were the indicators for me. I want to dig into the high mileage a little bit and not to say that that's the only way to train for a marathon, but in your case, it was just training differently from what you were used to in your college days as a, as a track athlete. And I think 
one thing we can both relate to now as coaches is we see a lot of age group marathoners who will maybe run two marathons a year and they're always training for a marathon and always doing similar types of training. And then eventually they plateau or they burn out or it's just not fun anymore, whatever the case may be. And just switching that stimulus up in their case, maybe running something shorter can be beneficial. So, you know, in your case, how much of it do you think it was, it was that just doing something differently than you were doing for many years prior? And what did that do for you? Not only physiologically, but psychologically. Oh, it was helpful. I, I think that I was definitely hiding from the track uh, for a very long time because I was afraid to get back on it. I, I knew what I had run in college and um, wasn't necessarily sure that I could I could match that. Um, I've, I've kind of remarked a, a few times since I've broken four, but my last two collegiate races were um, were pretty rough. They, I ran like a 406-1500 in my last race at New England's, and the day before that I'd run the 5K and I'd ran like a 1543 on the track, which were way below my personal best. So, um, there was definitely, even though I knew I was in great shape, there was always that element of just kind of like being afraid of the track and not wanting to get back on the track. Um, so I was certainly having fun with being on the roads and winning money in road races and, and training a little bit differently for sure. Um, I did a lot of training with Eric and Brian, uh, Eric Ash and Brian Harvey, and, and they, um, they were up to very recently coached by uh, Terrence Shea, who I think probably had more athletes at the Olympic trials than anyone else in 2016. Um, and he did workouts with, for them that were like way different than anything I'd ever done. Like we would do stuff like three by five K on the track or eight by mile repeat or four by two mile. And um, you know, that kind of stuff was nothing like I'd ever done. And, uh, and I could hit those times cause they were a little bit slower than the times that I had to run in college. I wasn't doing hard 400s or hard mile repeats. It was all, you know, aerobic based, more controlled tempo type stuff. So I think that that, that definitely helped with the confidence and, and psychologically, but that being said, running, running 120 to 130 miles a week will definitely also wear on you psychologically. Uh, you kind of get to the point where you feel like you're just always running, especially when you're working a full-time job on top of that. So you ended up coaching yourself for a few years and, and to some great success, as you just alluded to, eventually got down to 217 in the marathon. You qualified for the 2016 Olympic trials. And I want to talk about that race specifically. I was out there as a brutal day, hot, um, just not, a, not a good day to run a marathon in, in downtown LA. You ended up dropping out, uh, believe right around like 20 miles or so, or just after 20 miles. Tell me a little bit about that experience and to reach this level that you have been aspiring to for for quite a long time and just to not have it go as well as you had hoped and walk away like how did you walk away were you disappointed were you you know excited to give it a go um, at the next marathon what was your state of mind at that point yeah uh it was definitely tough um it it wasn't expected. Um, I, I thought I was, I think I still was definitely in the best shape of my life. Um, I would, I'd averaged over 120 miles a week in my build up to that and had done some really impressive workouts. And I think it was tougher in the moment mentally. Uh, you know, we got through two, I think it was four laps of that course or something like that. And I was like in the third lap was when I fell off the pace. And, and once I lost my, once I lost my pace group, 
um, that I was running with, that was, I mean, the wheels just kind of came off. I had a, a GPS watch on my wrist, which I definitely paid way too close attention to. And I saw it like click off a 540 mile and then that turned into a 620 mile. And then that turned into me stopping for water and just like kind of standing aside the course. Um, I actually stopped at mile 18 and like, I think I chugged an entire bottle of water. <laughs> they had like pulling spring bottles or something. I didn't even take my own bottle. I just put down an entire bottle and I was convinced that I was done there. And then I watched people run by, I watched training partners run by me, people that I competed against run by me and kind of psyched myself back up. And I was like, okay, no, I came all the way out here. Like, um, I paid my way out here because they don't, they don't, they don't help you out when you have the B standard for trials. Unfortunately, um, I, I need to finish this race. So I, I kept going and was running like six thirty seven minute miles. I came back through the finish line and then for whatever reason, I just like mentally lost like the will to continue, um, which was tough. I don't think I've ever dropped out of a race before, um, outside of that, that race, let alone the Olympic trials. And, um, it was hard. Um, I was sitting with, um, with my family and with my girlfriend at the time. And, um, one of my closest friends and still is one of my closest friends, uh, Matt Fisher, uh, ran collegially for Penn state. We broke 14 in the 5k together for the first time. And, um, he walks over to me and he sits down and, and he's like, Hey man, how'd it go? And I was like, Oh, like, you know, I didn't finish or whatever. And he's like, Oh man, yeah, it was brutal out there. He's, and he's just kind of a goofy guy. And he was saying how he, all he wanted to do was go lay in the ocean. And then there was like kind of this awkward silence. And then he's just like, yeah, I'm just glad I finished. And he said it without realizing. And I was just kind of like, yeah, like, I kind of wish oh, I did man. too. Um, but the, the toughest moment to be honest, and this is kind of weird, like definitely like a weird thing, but you know how you get like medals at the end of a race? Like it's something that you never really think is that big of a deal when you're a competitive runner. Um, you know, medal at the end of a road race is kind of like the least thing that you would want. You know, you're waiting for like the prize money or the check or, or whatever. Um, but I saw people walking around with their like Olympic trials finisher medals and I like didn't have one. And like that kind of sucked. I was like, oh, that would have been a really cool thing to have. Like, and I still have like my race bib and everything like that. But um, I surprisingly, after after like the moment passed, like the initial moment, I I did surprisingly bounce back pretty well. Um, I got lunch with my family, and I was scheduled to spend a few more days in LA, and um, so that was cool. I'd never been to LA before, and I just kind of like let myself you know, forget about the race a little bit. And I did jump pretty much right back into training. I remember the the way that I like mentally approached it was like, oh, like I didn't even run a full marathon. It was only 20 miles. It's more or less just a long run. I don't need to take time off, uh, which is stupid. <laughs> but, uh, but I jumped right back into it. And I did end up um, that following April running a big PR and a half marathon at the U.S. half championships. And that's still my uh, my highest finish at a U.S. Road Championship, so that was cool. I was tenth at that race, um, so I, I was able to bounce back pretty well. And then that fall was the fall that I that I ran my two seventeen. So I think in a lot of ways that race I learned from it, and it made me a stronger runner. Um, when I ran my two seventeen marathon, one of the absolutely number one things that I focused on was not looking at my watch and not taking splits and just like running controlled and just running off feel. And, um, that 
yielded really, really great results. Um, the buildup to that race was actually not even super smooth. I um, didn't have any like knock out of the park workouts. I just kind of went about my business and and did my sessions and did my long runs. And uh, the big focus workout that I had wasn't even that good. It was, I was doing a 24 mile long run and uh, the first four were easy. The middle 16 were supposed to be at marathon pace effort was what I prescribed for myself. And then the last four were easy. And I was obviously hoping that the 16 middle miles would be somewhere in the 515 to 520 range. But they ended, I think I averaged like low 530s for it. Um, and I came away from that and I was like, okay, cool. I'm probably in about 224 shape, 222 shape. It still be a PR. And um, I was actually signed up for the uh, CIM marathon in December. Um, and I had my flight booked and everything. And my plan was to run Mohawk Hudson, which is in my hometown of Albany, um, and try to just run, you know, a controlled race and, and actually like run a marathon all the way through to the finish. Like don't fall apart at the end, um, and just run strong and even. And by not looking at my watch and not looking at splits for, for whatever reason, a couple other fast guys showed up that year and we, we ran 217. So, um, that day, same day I canceled my flight to California and, uh, emailed the race director and told him, thank you, but I'm, I'm all set. Um, and that was that. So I, I definitely feel like I learned a lot, um, you know, about how to, how to approach a marathon and, um, you know, how to just kind of run under control from the Olympic trials. So now you're no longer self-coached. You're working with Randy Thomas, who longtime coach at Boston college. I think he's finished top five at both Boston, New York city marathons many, many years ago. Um, his coach, numerous um runners to success and he's been helping you out of late what was the impetus behind that switch and working with a coach again rather than going the solo route yeah it was a tough decision um because i'd obviously had a lot of success coaching myself but i knew deep down that if i wanted to really take it to the next level that i had to be a little more focused in my training and i needed that that voice to tell me when I shouldn't race or when I shouldn't go too hard or, um, you know, not to do certain things. And, um, I'd always really admired Randy as a coach. Uh, I never ran for him at BC. He was the women's coach. Um, but I, I honestly, the main reason that I reached out to him was because I just assumed that I didn't know anything about his training, but you know, he trained with Bill Rogers and, um, a bunch of those guys in, in the seventies. And I just assumed that they were like big mileage guys. So, so I thought like, you know, by reaching out to him, he would, he would like show me the proper way to run 120, 130 miles a week and let me kind of go do that. And the first day, like I sat down in his office and he gave me like his training plan for Boston that year. And it was like relatively low mileage. Um, it was 85 to 90 a week or maybe max out at 95 day off every single week, which I, I never took days off. So there were like quite a few changes in the training. And I was a little bit nervous coming out of the meeting that I had with him because I had done things one way, um, uh, for so long in the past four years. Um, but the other part of the switch was like to just kind of turn things over to someone else so I could just stop thinking about it and trust a coach and just like, really, really work with someone that can take me to the next level. So, um, I tried to be relaxed coming out of the meeting. I think the first workout that he gave me was technically a day off. Like he, after the meeting, he was like, okay, take tomorrow off and then we'll get started. 
And I was like, uh, I haven't taken a day off since like September. The meeting was in December. Um, he's like, trust me, just, just take a day off. And now I take a day off every week and I don't know what I would do without my, my Monday off. I would probably go crazy. Um, so definitely a lot of changes. I, I told myself that I would get a coach if I ran 215 in the marathon. And when I ran 217, I was like, oh, close enough. Um, but he's really taken things to the next level for me. He's, he's awesome. Super chill. He comes in, he timed me for a fartlek workout today. So, um, it's really been, I've been very, very lucky to be able to work with, with Randy. Um, cause he, I mean, he, he very well could not do it, but he, but he does it. So it's awesome. Getting on the track this indoor season and you had alluded to some outdoor goals coming up. Is this just setting you up for you to go back to the marathon eventually, or do you want to stick with the short stuff for a while and sort of see where, where, uh, you know, where you want to go with the marathon, if you want to go back to the marathon down the road here? Yeah, I don't know. Um, cause part of me is like, like when I look at the marathon, I've, I've run five marathons and I've, I've really only knocked it out of the park once. Um, every other one that I've done was, was pretty brutal. Um, so there, there is a part of me that looks at the marathon distance and thinks that I can, I can go run, you know, two, two eleven, two twelve, and and be one of those guys that contends at trials in twenty twenty. You know, one of those outsider picks that could maybe show up and have a big day and finish in the top three. Um, that's in the back of my mind for sure. But right now, I'm really just having fun with it. Um, I haven't been in this position where I've been PRing uh, in a very long time. So I'm going to ride that for a bit and just kind of see where it takes me. Um, I think this outdoor season will be focused on riding the 5k and 10k and see if I, seeing if I can qualify for outdoor nationals in, in one of those events. Um, you know, I've, I've run under 29, they're run under 14, but I think I can go close to 28 minutes and, you know, certainly under 1340 in the 5k or, or even faster. So, um, so yeah, I think I think I'll do another marathon at some point. I think that that's my best bet to to make it to the back to the trials. Um, but that being said, if I if I end up you know continuing to improve at the track, I I love track. I you know I grew up just a racer. Like that's how I fell in love with the sport. I love getting on the line and and running hard for X amount of time um, in in an enclosed you know environment like a track. So um, I think. You know, while I would love to you know, conquer the marathon, I'm, I'm very happy with my PR. Um, and I'm just going to, you know, take it one season at a time and, and kind of see what happens. So I, I think eventually I'll get back to it. I just, I guess the, the short answer is I don't know if it'll be this fall or, you know, in, in four years. So let's go back to how you got into running. Both of your parents ran our runners. Um, and I know helped you get into it. You ran pretty well in high school. Uh, just talk a little bit about your origins in the sport and what sparked that initial interest for you. Sure. Um, so yeah, my dad, uh, my dad was a big runner. He was a sprinter. He ran for Bentley and I think he still has a couple of school records in the 400 and maybe the 500, but, um, he's run, I think 48 point in the four back in the day, which is pretty impressive. And he, he broke 50 in high school at, at the same high school that I went to, which is pretty cool. And when he was there, it was actually 400 yards. So he still has like the school record. Technically, it can never be broken because everything's switched over to meters now, which is kind of cool. Um, so he's he's a big runner. Like He still runs. And like when I was a little kid, like I get dragged to like, you know, 
Colony, New York, open track meets to watch him do like a Masters 400. He actually had the um, the 4x8 indoor Masters world record for a short period of time. I think that one's actually been broken pretty recently. But um, see, so yeah, I grew up around it. And then my mom's story is actually pretty equally interesting. She um, wasn't a runner in high school or um, post-collegiately or anything, but picked it up later in life. And she started a running group in my hometown called uh, Niski Moms on the Run. I'm from a town called Niskiuna. And for like as long as I can remember, like we'd have anywhere from 30 to like 100 women show up at my driveway between the hours of 5 a.m. and 7 a.m. like before school started to go meet for a run. And um, to this day, like my mom doesn't really meet with the group anymore as much, but these women still meet at my driveway like when i go home i'll see minivans parked outside my house at like 7 a.m in the morning so yeah so it's always been around me and and i've always been kind of naturally fast but um i definitely hated running a lot (laughs) like i would get dragged to these 5ks and they put me in like the kids mile or or the 5k or whatever and i hated every second of it um and it wasn't really until my i ran cross country in middle school. Um, but it wasn't really until my freshman year of high school that I, I kind of flipped the switch or I guess it was sophomore year, sophomore year cross country was when I, when I really flipped the switch. I, um, you know, I had this friend, um, I've told this story many times, but I had this friend, um, who we would finish like pretty close together in freshman races and we were good. We would finish like top 10, but we, we didn't train. We didn't try or anything like that. Uh, we would just on our easy days, we would go, sit behind a bush and like, or like we'd go buy popsicles at the grocery store and blow off the run. Um, in my sophomore year, like the first cross country race, he beat me by like over a minute. It was like our first year running five K's. And, um, and I remember the next day showing up to practice, I like was waiting for him to go for a run so we could go slack off. And he was, he was like, Oh, like, you know, I finished seventh on the team yesterday. Like coach wants me to run with the varsity guys. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like, I guess I'll just go do my own thing. And, uh, that was like when the competitive, like instincts just like kicked in and I started trying to get back to his level. And I ended up being in the top five that year for my cross country team. And like, it's kind of, it's will sound cliche, but like the rest is history from that. Like I PR'd on the track that indoor season. Um, I quit my baseball team. I was a pretty good baseball player. I would have tried out, I would have tried out for the varsity team that year for outfield. I was a good center fielder. Um, but yeah, I qualified for states indoor that year in the mile and then put baseball to try to run faster in the mile that outdoor season. And, and that was that. So so I, I think it's important to bring up the fact that you, I mean, you're not a professional runner. You've broken four minutes, um, which is a huge accomplishment by any standard. But you, I mean, you work full time at Tracksmith. Um, you're leading group runs there. You're coaching some athletes, um, but you're still training very, very hard. Uh, you just posted your training for the, I think it was 11 weeks leading up to your mile at BU where you ran sub four. And I mean, it was pretty consistent. You were between on average 70 and 90 miles a week. Uh, you're hitting a long run every week, a day off, as you had mentioned earlier, two speed workouts. But I know from just talking to your boss, Matt Taylor, that you were working a lot during that time period too. How did you, how'd you juggle it all? Um, I, tried to look at my job as not a job, but just part of my 
everyday life. Um, I'm very lucky that I work in a flexible environment with runners that understand uh, the, the grind that it takes to, to be really good um, at running. Uh, but I think that like when you start separating training and work and your social life and, and everything, and, and it just becomes really difficult to balance and juggle everything. Um, but if you look at it all as like one big thing, it's just like something that you do um, just your, your daily life. I think it becomes a little bit easier. So um, I don't know. I, I definitely get this question a lot. Um, but I think the short answer is like I, I really do love what I do. I love working in the running community. Um, I love coaching and I love training. And I think that they all go together. Uh, so I, I guess that's, I, I know there's a lot more to it than that. Uh, but that's definitely the short answer is like I've, I've over the years found the balance and now I'm able to kind of like maximize and get the most out of my training that way. So, and I definitely, it's gotten easier as I've advanced in my career. Um, you know, at my old job, I, I worked a more traditional shift. Um, so I couldn't like sneak out in the afternoon and go for a shakeout or anything like that. I had to wait until the day was over and day was over. Um, but even then, like, you know, you find ways to get it done. Like, um, Usually, like retail hours don't start until eleven o'clock. So if I have a workout or a longer run, I'm still able to get up at like eight o'clock and, and get you know twelve to thirteen miles in without a problem. Um, and you know, winter is definitely makes it a little bit tougher in Boston because it's it's not easy to motivate yourself to get out the door for a four or five mile shakeout when it's ten degrees and freezing rain outside. Um, but uh, like I said, like we, we've built this like really, really incredible network of um, post-collegiate runners that work full time here in Boston. And it's really special. And I think a lot of people don't even know that it exists. Um, a story that I've, I've wanted to tell for a very long time, um, but haven't been able to. And I'll, I'll get I'll get some uh, slack from this from my roommates, probably. But it's a pretty like not so well-kept secret that if you get to the Harvard indoor track before like eight or 9 AM on a work day, uh, the doors are going to be unlocked. So it's, it's pretty incredible to walk into that indoor facility on a Tuesday or a Wednesday and to see all of the runners working out. Like I'm talking like 7 AM, 30 to 50 people doing intervals on the indoor track, all doing their own thing, all just trying to get a workout in before they go to their full-time job. And it's really special. So um, I think I get put on a pedestal because I run pretty fast times, but I'm definitely not the only person in Boston that's that's also getting it done. So for for me, the keys are consistency. Um, but but like I said, it, it it's pretty special in Boston. I, I'm definitely not the only person that does it. So well, and and Boston has a history of this, right? I mean, Bill Rogers sort of followed the same MO back in the seventies and all his greater Boston track club teammates, including Randy Thomas, your coach. And that's continued through the years. When I lived there in early two thousands, there was a great club scene and the same sort of thing was happening where you'd go to the track on Tuesday night at Reggie and there's 80 people running, mm -hmm. <laughs> running intervals. Um, in the middle of the winter time and you go on the Charles river, especially this time of year before Boston or on the marathon course. And you'd swear there was a road race going on. So there's so many people. So, I, I mean, I think that, you know, that's been going on in the Boston area for a long time, but 
I mean, right now, is it, I mean, is it true? I've heard, I've heard people calling Boston or Brighton, like the new Flagstaff. Yes, um, I love that that's catching on. That's yeah, awesome. It's, it's, I, 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 we may or may not have started that expression, <laughs> my, my, my roommates and I, but. Um, but what is it about, what is it about Boston and, and what is bringing all of those, you know, like-minded people together to continue competing and to chase big goals, despite the fact that it's not their profession? I think to me, it's the, the community and, and the energy. Um, it, I remember even back before I was working in the running industry, like the first time I like drove up from, from, from New York to go to school at BC, turning, turning left onto Com Ave and seeing runners running. And I was like, this is insane. Like, why are there so many people out here running? Cause I'm, I mean, upstate New York people run, but it's, it's nothing like here. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's pretty incredible. Like everyone just makes it part of their daily lives. Comab, if, if people have never gotten the chance to see Comab on a Saturday in the month of March, it's remarkable. Um, the third week of March is like usually like the longest long run day, uh, before the Boston marathon. And if you go out there on that Saturday morning, you would think it's the actual marathon. Like there's so many runners. We're talking like, tens of thousands of people are out on the course. So, um, like not even like people that aren't even competitive runners, like you just, you're just around it all the time. So, uh, I, I personally, I, I so much feed off of the running community and the people that come do my run clubs and, um, the people that I've met over the years that are, that are running and, and doing great things. And, um, it's just around you all the time. So for me, I just, I feed off that energy for sure. So, um, that that's what it's about for me. Let's talk about your involvement there specifically with these with these run clubs. I mean, you've become a very recognizable figure in the Boston running community. You had said earlier how folks will come up to you during one of the workouts and ask how your training is going or congratulate you on your race and you have that real connection with the community, but I feel like as you kind of get up the ladder in the sport, especially the you know, the better athletes who are making a, a living out of it. Um, connection is hard to come by uh, a lot of times. There are a lot of runners who, who feel no connection to the elites at all. How important is it for better runners, whether they're, you know, emerging elites such as yourself or at the very best of the sport to connect with the middle and back of the Packers and make themselves more relatable? Well, like I said, for me, I think we feed off each other. Um, I, I obviously my my job is is focused on on building up the running running community, um, but I, I don't know. I, I definitely get a, a motivational bump from from people that are are training. Like I, the workouts that we lead here at the track house, um, you know, we I set them up so they mimic what a regular runner's training might or a, a professional runner's training might look like. So. Um, very similar to the training that I posted. It's, it's a, a speed workout, a tempo run and a long run. And I think when you like, when you take out all the fancy stuff and boil it down to the basics, that's what it takes to improve, um, and to become a, a good runner. So I, I really, truly try to take all the fancy stuff out of it in the run clubs that I lead and, um, just oversimplify it and, and give people really solid training when they show up to do these runs and, I give these guys more credit than me because I, I'm lucky enough where I can get out and do my workout at 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. and sneak away from the office for a few hours. But these guys are showing up after after a full day of work, 
um, at 6.30 p.m. in the dark to run 400-meter repeats on the river when it's 20 degrees and windy outside. Um, and that's, I mean, if that's not inspiring, like, I don't know what is. Uh, anyone can show up to an indoor track at 11 o'clock and, and do some 400s, but to do it at night in the dark, in the cold, in the elements is like, that's what gets me fired up for sure. So um, I posted my training because I want people to know what, I, what I'm doing. Um, I'm flattered that people actually are looking at it and reading it um, because uh, I wasn't, I didn't know that people would actually get that much of a kick out of it. But I think it's important for, um, you know, runners in Boston that never ran collegiately or uh, don't run with a, a professional group or not, and just have their own goals to, to see how people like it, like me train. Um, because it is like, like you pointed out, it is very simple training. You know, it's a speed workout, a tempo workout in the long run. It's no different than the training that we do here. Um, and I think for people to see that is really important. Um, I think too many times in the sport, uh, we overcomplicate things and, and try to get more out of it than, than we can. We try to like force every, every second out of our training when, you know, if you really just relax and take a step back and just kind of go through the motions and, and, you know, follow the process, then, you know, you're really going to see improvement. So that, that's the main reason why I wanted to post my training. I want, I want people to know that it's, it's nothing, it's nothing crazy. You know, I live a very balanced life. I, I, say yes to a lot of opportunities, probably too, too many, um, you know, to like hang out with friends and, and do social things outside of running. Um, but that's just because I think that balance is, is very, very important. So. You've mentioned your work at Tracksmith. You're the community manager there working full-time or full-time plus uh, some of the time. I mean, you seem to embody what Tracksmith is all about celebrating the competitive amateur runner who is working full time and still putting in the training. Um, what have been, you know, just kind of in your experience in not only the Boston community, but in, I guess, the, the greater running world in general, what are some of the biggest misconceptions about Tracksmith as a brand? Um, uh, because I get accused of being elitist or off putting by, by some people. How do you respond to? that type of criticism? Yeah, I don't know. I think, I think if people were here and, and saw the work environment, when we wouldn't get that same rap, it's, it's pretty, if you've never been to the track house, it's, it's pretty incredible, um, working environment. It's a small company, so we have to hustle quite a bit. Um, everyone's working at least two to three different jobs. So no one's really focused on one thing here. Um, and we all just like really believe in what we're building and, um, and believe that we've truly created something that's different, uh, than anything else that's out there right now. You know, a brand that's truly focused on running and running alone and, um, trying to put out the best product for runners. So, um, the work environment here is, is really electric. You know, we've got the store on the first floor, um, which is kind of where I set up shop. Um, and that's more or less like a showroom for the product. But then the second floor, is it doubles as like a community lounge space where I host my run club and also the workspace. So it's, it's not like we have these luxury offices or anything here. We're working at tables and on any given day, you could be working right across from the CEO. Matt just works in the same room as everyone else. And, and like I said, it, it's, it's a lot of wearing different hats and doing different things to, to make this go. 
Um, one of the first projects that I was lucky enough to work on when I started at Tracksmith was we did a, a really cool event um, called the Trackhouse Mile. Uh, every every year in Boston for three Sundays of the summer, they close down Newbury Street to cars, and it's called Open Newbury Street, and businesses can can move out onto the street and um, set up tents and games and stuff like that. So we reached out to the city and asked if we could do a road mile because we thought that'd be really cool. And they said yes for some reason. Um, so we, we put this mile together and on a very low budget. And uh, we I that was the most I've ever hustled personally in my entire life. I don't think I slept the week before the race because I had just started with the company and I wanted to do a good job. And I was so nervous that things weren't going to go well, but, you know, we had our director of PR doing, you know, packet pickup and like, you know, our in-house graphic designer, like checking people in for the race and stamping posters. And like, everyone has like, you know, their, their everyday daily role, but no one here is afraid to pitch in and work hard and do extra. And I think that that's, no, I know that that's, that we're not the only company that's like that. Um, but we definitely hustle to make this brand go and, uh, you know, I'm I'm inspired by the people that work here every day. Um, you know, everyone's excited to come into work because of what we're building. Uh, so it's definitely a very electric work environment to be a part of. Switch gears a little bit. You've got a thing for egg sandwiches. Where'd that come from? Yeah, that comes from being a poor post-collegiate uh, runner who wasn't making a lot of money and uh, didn't want to spend a lot of money on groceries. But yeah, I kind of like coined the expression eggs and beer um back in the day and i just it kind of just comes from um like i said uh not wanting to like eat out a lot so eggs are obviously really cheap so after every run i would just make make some eggs or make an egg sandwich and uh after a long day an 18 mile day or a 20 mile day i would come home and crack a couple beers and that was kind of um how that got started i just uh, I have it in my Instagram profile, but um, I still eat eggs every single day. Uh, if I don't have them for breakfast, there's a solid chance that I'll have them for dinner that night. Um, and I definitely indulge in um, in in beer probably three to four times a week uh, after my harder workout days. Uh, I had a fart like tonight, so I'll definitely drink a couple beers tonight. But I think it's it's really important to just kind of keep that balance. Um, the really crazy thing about the egg consumption in my household is that not only do I eat eggs, but my roommate, David, who's a very high level runner himself, he just ran 810 and 3k, um, at BU and my roommate, Nick, and even my roommate, Johnny, um, all have eggs almost every single day. So we probably consume close to like, we've done, we've tried to like figure it out before, but it's probably close to like 50 eggs a week between the four of us. and yeah, it works. And for some reason it's caught on and people think it's funny, but, um, yeah, <laughs> I love, love a good egg sandwich for sure. So you've, you've talked a few times now about being balanced and not getting fanatical about some of these types of details. And a lot of runners do to the point where it gets like all consuming. And I want to go back to one of your last like Instagram posts that you put up after your sub four. I think you'd, you'd wrote, if you can learn to let go and focus on what makes you happy, then good things will come. Let's dig into that a little bit. Um, why were you thinking that kind of in that moment after your race and how did that philosophy 
or how has that philosophy, I guess, contributed to some of your more recent successes and breakthroughs? It's, it's pretty simple. Um, I was a miler growing up and in college, and uh, I, I was that obsessive, compulsive runner um, for, for seven to eight years. And uh, I was at the point where, well, I think I ran between 408 and 413 about 25 times. Uh, and I just could not break through that barrier. And I thought at the time that I was doing absolutely everything that I could possibly do. And I didn't know what else I could do. And I, I tell this to the people that I coach and, um, you know, try to communicate it whenever it's appropriate. But I think it's, it's really frustrating for a lot of people when they feel like they're doing all that they can and they're not seeing the times come down. And I think as runners, we've all been there where you hit that plateau and it's frustrating and you don't know why. Um, and for me, this indoor season has just been kind of about taking a step back from all of that and just having a really relaxed attitude towards everything and just having fun with it. Like for me, like I haven't trained for a mile since college. It was, and it was really fun. Like I enjoyed showing up and doing speed workouts and doing 200 meter repeats. And I, I really did truly enjoy every second of, of it. And, um, I tried to document my, my journey for it on Instagram as, as well as I could. And I had fun with that. And, you know, I had people checking in with me asking how it was going. And, um, you know, I didn't overthink it either. I, th I think that's a key. Like, I think a lot of people read, read too much into their workouts and, you know, I'm not, I, I do it too. Um, you know, my roommates will give me a hard time about it. Um, but I think it's really important to not let, uh, you know, not let a bad workout take over your life or um, a bad race set you back. You just kind of have to keep remembering why you're doing it it's because you love the sport and because uh, you have fun with it. And I think if you're able to truly do that and find the joy in it, then the good times just kind of come like right along with it. So I think the reason that I'm able to train at the level that I do is because of how much I enjoy it. So I think that that's the key for me. Um, you know, I, I've, I've been able to get to this level because it doesn't feel like work for me. It doesn't feel like I'm never going into a day like oh, I have to go do a five mile tempo run today, or I have to go run 16 miles. It's like, Oh, I've got 16 miler today. Like, let me see who I can text or run with or wonder where we're going to go run today. Like it, it's always like an excitement going into it. Um, definitely something that I lost towards the end of college, um, or even the middle of college and something that I feel very lucky to have found again. So I would encourage people, um, if they, they're feeling, uh, like they're hating the sport, but they still have aspirations and dreams to improve to try to remember why you fell in love with it in the first place and, and try to put yourself in positions where you can learn to love it again. And, and for me, that was being part of this really vibrant electric running community in Boston and, um, you know, something that I feel like I've had a, a big piece in building myself, um, both at my last job and, and now here at Tracksmith and I'm very proud of it. And I, I want to make those people proud too. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky to be a part of it. Last question as a, as someone who's competing at a high level himself, but also as someone who's been in the sport for a while and is a fan of competitive running, who or what in the sport of running is exciting you right now? Ooh, good question. I wasn't prepared for this. Um, hmm. Think about that for a second, if you don't mind. 
Um, Take your time. Yeah. What? For some reason, Tim Ritchie's name just keeps popping into my head. But, uh, Guest number two on the Morning Shakeout podcast, Tim yeah. Ritchie, fellow BC grad and Worcester yeah. Mass native. He had some good things to say after the mile. He he texted me like first thing in the morning on uh, on Monday and just said, waking up sub four or something like that. And I was like, yep, it's a pretty good feeling because Tim's also not only is he a 211 marathoner and U.S. marathon champ, but a, a sub four miler. I got to watch him break four and that was pretty cool uh, back when I was in college. Um, but in terms of exciting me about the sport, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely excited for Boston this year. There's nothing like it. And I think this is probably the best elite field that's ever been assembled, uh, for, for Americans at least. Um, so I'm definitely pumped to watch that. Like I got to watch Shalane win New York. I was in New York cause we had a tracksmith pop up, um, in the city there. And that was like, so cool. Uh, seeing her come through central park. We were at, there's a point in the race where you can like, I think it's like mile 16 where you can see mile 16 and then make it back over to central park to see them at like mile 26 pretty easily. Um, so that's what we did. And we were running from mile 16 to mile 26 because we didn't know how much time we had or if we were going to make it. And, uh, we, so no one was checking their phones or getting updates and no one knew what was happening. And when we saw them at 16, I think she was in third place. Um, or, or, tied for the lead with two other people and the spot that we ended up landing at, we were like facing a hill. So you couldn't really see over the hill and, and just seeing her come up over the hill at first with no one behind her was like the coolest thing I've ever witnessed in person, I think. And, uh, so I'm definitely excited to see her at Boston this year. Um, and to see, you know, all the other Americans compete there. Uh, I think that that's, and, and Tim, Tim's in the field too. So I'm excited to watch him run as well. Um, so I guess short, short term, that's what gets me excited for sure. Um, you know, us marathoning, you can talk about those Japanese guys that just ran so fast in, in Tokyo. Um, that was pretty cool. And I, I know that we have American runners that are, that are capable of, of being on that level. Um, you know, obviously Boston is a tough course to, to run under 210. Um, but I am excited to see like the new class of, of American distance running that, that shows up for the Olympic trials in a few years. Like there's some, there's some guys out there that are doing some pretty incredible things. Like Parker Stinson just knocked it out of the park for 23 miles at CIM. So I know he'll crush it at the next one. And, um, there's some guys that are really inspiring to me. Like Noah Drotty is like someone that I really like relate to a lot. Like, seeing his story, like how he improved in every half marathon that he did up to the point where he ran like 61 minutes is, is like really, really cool for me. So, um, I think that that's, that's what gets me excited. There's a lot of guys out there and girls that are grinding really hard. Like I am, um, they might not be working full time, but I know that they're not making a lot of money to do what they do, um, just for the love of the sport. So, um, I think one thing that's cool about it right now is, people seem to be grouping up a lot more. There's a lot of these like sub elite high performance groups that are popping up all over the place. Um, and, uh, I think it's really elevating the sport. So, uh, I've gotten lucky enough to get to know some of the people that train out in Flagstaff and Boulder. And, um, and I am excited to see what those groups bring to the table over the course of the next few years. And hopefully I'll be one of the people competing with them. So. I think that's a good place to end it. Lou, you're pretty active online. Uh, you share 
your training, uh, various parts of your journey, where can listeners connect best with you? Um, my Instagram is, I think it's Lou Serafini one. I'm pretty sure. And I think my Twitter is just Louis Serafini. Um, so those would be the best places, but I'm definitely more active on Instagram, trying to elevate my Twitter game a little bit, but I'm not as, I'm not as funny as my roommate David. So, um, but maybe eventually we'll get there. So thank you so much for your time today. It was fun having you on the podcast and we'll see you a few weeks from now in Boston. That sounds good. Thanks again. And that's a wrap on this week's podcast. What'd you think? Thumbs up, thumbs down, somewhere in the middle, doesn't matter. Head over to iTunes, leave a review. That really helps out the show. I really appreciate it. Um, Also, if you would like to support my work directly, you can make a donation via Patreon at patreon.com slash themorningshakeout. Much gratitude to those of you who have already made a monthly pledge, which helps me to produce this show, but also lets me put out great content week in and week out. And finally, if you're not subscribed to the Morning Shakeout newsletter, shame on you. I'm just kidding. Head over to themorningshakeout.com. You can subscribe there. I send it out on Tuesday mornings. I write about running and a whole slew of other interesting topics, and I really think you'll enjoy it. So until next time, I'm Mario Fraioli, and thank you for listening to my podcast.